Welcome to Pastor's Class. Tonight we are going to wrap up the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it is a great, great passage. In fact, of all the passages in the New Testament, that really is a great place to go. If you want to learn theology, I uh, wanted to learn the Bible, you would go to Genesis and get the creation story. You get the Ten Commandments in Exodus. You would have your prayers out of Psalms. You would uh, then go to the Lord's Prayer, and you would take that in Matthew 6. You would take the Sermon on the Mount. Here in, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you have the, the, the greatest sermon given by the greatest man uh, recorded for us in the greatest book, the Bible. This evening, as we uh, close out our time, we come to uh, a summary statement. In Matthew chapter 7, uh, it starts in verse 24 and then reads down to about verse 29. And what you have is Jesus gives a summary statement and then uh, the, the writer, Matthew, he then editorializes. He gives us just some context of how this was received. So what I'd like to do tonight, uh, let's read it and then uh, let's say a prayer and then review and then get right into what Jesus is teaching. So join me as we pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the New Testament. Thank you for the book of Matthew and thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. We pray that as we conclude it, that our hearts might be built on the foundation, which is your word. And I pray for people, men and women that are listening now, God, that you would strengthen the foundation of their lives so that as, as the storms come, their lives might stand. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's uh, go to the passage and then get started. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And here's what happens after he built it. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And comes a contrast. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like the foolish man. He built his house on the sand. And same storm, the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew, and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So we'll talk about that, and then listen to the summary station, uh, a summary statement down here in verse 28. Matthew tells us, And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So let's just go all the way back to the beginning and think through the Sermon on the Mount. So you get to Matthew chapter five and Matthew tells us that Jesus uh, went up on the mountain and after he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and he began to teach them. Now, what did he teach? Remember the Beatitudes? Went through the Beatitudes and talked about those stair steps. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are sorrowful. And, and remember, it's, it's this bankruptcy, this spiritual bankruptcy. And you read the Beatitudes, and it is starting with sin. You understand yourself as sinful, mournful over that sin. And then God, by grace, he builds us up from that. It's not that we appeal to our better angels. 
And to be careful, when you read uh, the Sermon on the Mount, it feels like the ethics of the kingdom of God, and it is, but it's more than just living ethically. We, we, we've, not, we've got to not believe that we come into this world uh, basically good, and if we just work real hard to be good, that honors God. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that, that we are sinful by nature. And because of that, we are guilty before God and should be sorrowful for that guilt. That's why we go to the cross. And once that happens, there's a conversion. That's when the ethics of the kingdom show up. So you read Matthew chapter 5, you get to the Beatitudes, and then you, you hear Jesus talk um, about so many modern-day issues. Modern to his time, modern to ours. He deals with anger. He deals with lust. He deals with marriage and divorce. He deals with uh, loving people. And what he does is he takes the law. Jesus takes the, the Old Testament and he says, you've misunderstood it. You've not uh, applied it rightly. I didn't come to do away with that. I came to take the Old Testament, the law, and, and fulfill it. So you're, you're seeing a half circle. Jesus says, I'm going to do the, I'm going to give you the whole thing. What does it mean? So he takes us away from the externals that the law oftentimes addressed. And then he brings it into, into our hearts where that's, that's where it shows up inside. So you come through Matthew chapter five, you get to Matthew chapter six and, uh, he teaches us how to pray. There's the fullest account of the Lord's Prayer, and it, it dials us into God. Um, the Lord's Prayer, um, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So you have our Father who is close, he's in heaven, is transcendent, the holiness of God. And right off, uh, teaching us how to pray, recognizing the relationship and who God is, and then asking for the needs of the day. They're spiritual and physical asking for protection, and giving glory to God in prayer. Then you get to chapter 7, where we are tonight. <clears throat> and by the time you get to where we are, you find Jesus using contrasts. Starts dividing the world into those who are and those who are not. Those who genuinely are, are following Christ, and those who are not following Christ. So remember the contrast that uh, we talked about last week, some of that? We talked about uh, the narrow gate and the wide gate. Talked about how there is a very specific uh, and exclusive nature of what it means to be a Christian, and the wide gate being uh, very easy to pass through. Talked about the the other contrast was uh, the wide road or the wide way, the easy highway, the, the, the eight-lane highway going in one direction that's easy to go on, and then the narrow, the hard, hard road. And his point in these contrasts are that certainly salvation is a, is a, is a gift of God by grace given to us through faith in Christ. But there is this responsibility that we have, this, these choices that we make, uh, this lifestyle that we lead. Um, you know, James, 
who is the half-brother of Jesus, will later write that faith without works is dead. A whole lot of what James writes sounds very similar to the Sermon on the Mount. He's not saying that grace is not important. It is important, but he's also saying that along with God's sovereignty, there is a significant human responsibility to, to, to put our lives on the road of spiritual disciplines. So Jesus talks about the wide gate, the narrow gate, and he talks about uh, the narrow way and the wide way. So in 2021, 22, uh, here we are in the month of May and um, halfway through the year. You're feeling some of that if you are a Christian. Uh, I, I think that we will probably uh, see more of that even in our church. So for instance, Cultural Christianity has been dying a slow death for quite some time. Cultural Christianity, what I mean by that is that, that if there is some benefit coming to church uh, in society, it makes you seem like a good, God-fearing person, respectable, church-going person. And that has some benefit for how you're perceived. It, it even used to have some benefit for the workplace. Most of that benefit is gone. In fact, now, uh, coming to church, being a Christian, has very little social benefit to it. There's not much that's going to help you advance your career, uh, uh, raise how you're perceived in the community. It's not there anymore. So with that gone, cu cultural Christianity starts to fade because there's no benefit in the culture to actually being a Christian. I think we're, I think we're going to see more of that. I think COVID, uh, the, I think the pandemic, and then all that's gone on with elections, all that's gone on with uh, our society with racial tension, I think that has burned away some of the, the benefit of saying you're a Christian. I think in the days ahead, we'll see more and more of those who are genuinely, truly Christian. And, and so with that in mind, I think, I think the wide and narrow way will become more and more aware of the difference between the two. And then Jesus talked about, uh, for a little bit, he talked about the good fruit and the bad fruit, specifically about false prophets and uh, genuine teachers. You'll know the tree by its fruit, what it bears. And you see the contrast that, that, he, that he builds. And then near the end of that, it, we came up with the confession. Remember what Jesus says? Uh, many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not enlist all of these things that they did? There's a true confession and a false confession. So what you have there, really, when you get to the end, is this picture of those that genuinely, that say they're Christians and genuinely are Christians, and then those that say they're Christians and genuinely are not Christians. So he takes all of that, he wraps it up, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and here in verse 24, he's going to give us one more contrast. It's a great contrast, but it has one central point. So I want to be careful not to go through and uh, read and pick apart every single little thing. I do want you to see the different contrasts. So in verse 24, uh, he says, everyone who hears, it's very important, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. Now, look at the contrast uh, with verse 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine 
and do not do them. So the contrast is, is between two people that come to the same church and hear the same sermons, experience the same worship that are here at Hickory Grove on a Sunday morning. They hear the same songs. They're witness to the same prayers, Have uh, read the same version of the Bible on the screens and what I preach from, hear the same gospel preach, the same message. And the contrast is down to the person. The contrast is hearing, doing, hearing, not doing. The contrast is what James would talk about. Faith without works doesn't exist. That real faith actually shows up in real life. And if faith is not there, then works will not be there. So you, you see what Jesus does here? It's the contrast between those that... Um, that Act on what they hear. So he's given the manifesto of the kingdom of God, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and here's how he closes it. Okay, those who hear the words of that I've given you and act on that, there's a beautiful picture of that person. Let's go take the contrast even further. Listen to what he says. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, they're like the wise man who built his house on the rock. So this is the foundation. The, you builders out there, you understand uh, what goes into a foundation. Foundation work is, is not fun, it's laborious, it's not seen, it's not glamorous, but it's vital. So he says, you're like the person that, that built your house on the rock. Here's the virtue of that. Rain fell, floods came, winds blew, they beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. So that's the picture of one life. Let's set that aside for a moment, and then let's go talk about the other life. Jesus says, now, here's the other part of the contrast in verse 26. Join me there. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not, so you've heard the same gospel, had the same opportunities, the same picture of grace. You, you've heard these words of mine and did not do them. You're like the foolish man. So, wise, fool. Hearing and doing, hearing and not doing. You're like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. So, wise, fool, doing, not doing, rock, sand. Built his house on the sand is the exact same description of the same set of circumstances. The same storm comes in. And the rain fell, the floods came, winds blew, and they beat against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Why was the fall so great? Because it felt like they were exactly the same. They had been to the same services, they had walked down the same aisle, they had been baptized in the same water. There was this same the sameness about the Christian experience, and yet the reality and the strength of that Christianity is displayed in the actual storm itself. So before we get to that, what is the foundation for you to build your life on? I like to suggest just a couple of things. 
One I'd like to suggest to build your life on a big view of God. I'll just give you sort of three G's here in a row. I think you need to build your life on a big view of who God is. The Bible gives us this, this transcendent understanding of the godness of God. You read it all throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament. I'm reading right now in the Gospel of John, just a own devotion, and hearing the things that Jesus says, his awareness of people, uh, that God sees us at all times. Proverbs speaks of us he, seeing us when we are out in the open and when we're not in the open. So it's good for you to formulate a, a bigger and bigger view of God. We will call it the sovereignty of God or a, kind of a kinder word, softer words, the providence of God, just the godness of God. So that's one, one place to start is, is God. I'll bring you to another G, and that is the gospel. We need to have a clear and an unwavering picture of the gospel, of the need for the gospel and our own sinfulness, what actually happened to Jesus uh, in his life. It's, it's important to understand the perfect life of Jesus, uh, his death on the cross. Why is that necessary? What is that for? We don't want to stop and say that was an example of sacrificial love for people. Certainly it was, but that's not what happened exclusively there. What happens on the cross? Why? And as we do that, you end up exploring something called substitutionary atonement. It's important that we have a depth and texture to the gospel, that we don't just have the gospel as something you put on the end of a sermon and have people raise their hand if they want to go to heaven. Uh, I think that easy believism has actually hurt the church more than helped it. I think we need to have a really clear understanding of what, is, what does it mean to put my faith in what Jesus has done on the cross. What did he do there? What is the transaction that happened there? What, how did the cross affect how God sees me? Does something vertical. What did the cross do? to affect how I actually am? What did it change when I put my faith there? What is the transaction? So we need to have a, a textured and clear view of Jesus dying in the place of sinners, taking the sin of sinners and giving the righteousness to the sinner and that sinner being transformed, being born again as Jesus would describe it. So we need God, a clear understanding of God. We're gonna build our foundation with God. We're gonna to add to that foundation a good and robust uh, understanding of the gospel. And I would give you another G. Uh, that is the word grace. God, gospel, grace. If we're gonna build a foundation, you, you read the book of Matthew, you'll see it there in Mark, uh, you'll see it in Luke. You, it really sort of bubbles to the surface in, in the book of John. And that is the grace of God given to us in Jesus that God does not immediately kill us when we sin. That, that is grace. You know, I'm preaching through Joshua. I'm in Joshua chapter 1, verse 10 through 18 for Sunday. And uh, one of the last things said in verse 18 by those that are responding to Joshua's call to go into the land, uh, they say, yes, we'll do that. We'll go where he tells us to go. We'll uh, fight who tells us to fight. We'll obey what you tell us to do. And anybody that doesn't do that, we'll kill them. I mean, there are these immediate consequences for sin. We, we, we forget that it is the grace of God that he, he allows us to wake up in the morning 
then that grace is given a laser focus at the cross. So there, uh, the justice and wrath of God is poured out on Jesus, and grace is us getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is us not getting what we do deserve, so we should have been punished, we didn't get it. Grace is us is this positive sort of, we don't deserve to be loved, and yet he does love us. We don't deserve to be taken care of and provided for and given to, and yet he does that. So when you build your life on, on God, the transcendence of God, gospel, the substitutionary atonement, grace, you really see your life as being a, a picture of, of God's grace. You're well on your way because now what you're doing is you're finding your daily food out of, out of the word. I just would add that one other element is the word. In fact, that's what Jesus says here when he talks about uh, two foundations. There's one house built on the rock, which is my word, one house built on the sand, which is not his word. And that contrast is the very point of what he's saying here. Now, let's press this a little further. What are the applications? I don't want to belabor the point, but I, I do think that there are several applications. I'll give you three applications from this passage. Here are the applications. <clears throat> when you read it, so here's how we mostly apply this. So we say, all right, everyone who, be, who hears these words and does them as a wise man built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat on the house, it didn't fall because it was founded on the rock. And the contrast is the person that didn't build on the rock that is Jesus, that that same storm came and uh, it fell and great was his fall. So what we typically say is, and I think it's a fine application, uh, is going through hard times in life. So that's kind of how we equate, we'll say the storm, been through a storm. I know a preacher used to say you're either going into a storm, you're in the storm, or out of a storm when it comes to hard life. Well, that's true. You live long enough, you're actually going to run up on hard times. So, so yes, there is some truth to the fact that when your life is built on the foundation of God, the gospel, grace, and the word, uh, you go through difficulties and the house doesn't come down. You don't come completely apart. That, that is absolutely true. And we can also see uh, the evidence of other people that who may claim to be Christians but go through difficult times and everything collapses. Yes, I think that's a fair and fine application. I don't think that's the only application. Because if you read this in context, I think Jesus, because of the other contrast, I think Jesus has a final judgment in mind. It seems to be what he was talking about with, many will say to me, on that day, Lord, did we not? preach in your name? Do we not cast out many demons in your name? Did we not do great works in your name? And I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. It's, that sounds like the day of judgment. I, I think that you could probably make the application here is that you have two ways to build your life and, and two lives, two houses on the same street can look exactly alike. They have the same color. And if one is built with a strong foundation, it stands. One is not, it collapses. The difference is the foundation. I think that Jesus, 
I think it's fair to say he could possibly uh, have been talking about final judgment here. That there is a form, I want to be careful how I say this, there is a form of Christianity that will not stand up to judgment. There, there is a belief in Jesus that is not a saving belief in Jesus. There is a lip service to the gospel that doesn't see the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as the transforming power that changes your life and you live your life for Christ. I think that that's possibly what Jesus is talking about here. So I think you could apply it uh, to the hardships. You're going to be able to stand, stay steady through the storms because your life's built on the rock. Yes. I think you could apply it um, by way of judgment, that you'll be able to stand on judgment day, that the fire of judgment takes away all of the, the chaff that the Bible says is gone, but you're refined by fire, and yet the gold there that is the gospel stays with you. It, the house stands. Before I go, I'd like to maybe make one more application for our current cultural moment. We live in a time when um, things are headed with such terrible velocity and a downward spiral um, that the church is going to more and more feel the weight of that. And the church will, will feel, I think, a certain form of low-level, probably financial and cultural persecution. I certainly don't mean to equate it like what ex the church experience in those third century or what the during the Protestant Reformation or Bloody Mary where she burnt all of the preachers. I don't mean that. I mean we'll feel the weight of it, especially when it comes to the sexual revolution and specifically with our views on manhood and, and womanhood. What it means to be a man according to the Bible, what it means to be a woman according to the Bible, and our view on on the genders. I think you'll see more and more churches that may have looked like the real thing, had the right look, but not built on the foundation. I think you'll see more and more of them capitulating to the pressures of a culture that's demanding that you stand and recite the creed of sexual revolution. And I think what you'll see is the churches that are built on the rock, which is God and the gospel and grace and the word, that they'll, they'll go through the storm. It'll be terrible. I mean, the description is the wind blew and the rain fell and the great storm. But finally, when it passes, it's still standing there. That's what, that's what I hope for us. I mean, you can feel that even as Matthew concludes it here in verse 25. He said that when Jesus finished, in verse 28, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished. They had never heard anything like that. Verse 29 says, the reason is because Jesus spoke with authority. So, my hope is that you've built your life on the rock that is the sovereignty of God, the gospel of Jesus, the grace found at the cross, and the word of God that he's given us so that when the storms of life come, when the storm of judgment comes, when this current 
cultural moment breaks out in a storm, we're able to stand there because of the Word of God. Let me pray for, let me pray for us and uh, we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for the grace you give us. Thank you for your Word that is good. Thank you for strengthening our hearts. May we rejoice in the goodness of your Word and the Gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.